It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trana, and happy Friday to everybody. We have made it to the end of the first week of February. We have been doing Super Bowl week coverage, and it's been a really good week for us here on the Locked on Giants podcast. But you know what? It's going to get even better because I am absolutely over the moon over this next guest who was able to take time out of a very, very busy schedule to join me on the program. And that would be none other than New York Giants Super Bowl legend, Leonard Marshall, he who have two Super Bowls, just a tremendous individual, very active in the community these days. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his Super Bowl memories. Leonard, my friend, thank you so much for coming on the program. You are so welcome, Patricia. And thank you for having me. My pleasure, Leonard. And, and, you know, Leonard, this year's Super Bowl is so different from any year that we've ever had because of the pandemic. I, I mean, it, it just... Having covered four Super Bowls myself, and unfortunately, I didn't cover any of the ones that uh, you played in. I was a little too young. I don't mean to make you feel older or anything like that, but I was still kind of in school when they happened. But, I mean, when you just look at how the game, the Super Bowl has evolved, you know, what, what are some of your takeaways? My takeaways are, you know, the game that I played and the era that I played, you played the game to be great. You played the game to be um, uh, uh, remembered as one of the, the, the greatest athletes to hit the field of play. And everything was memorialized about what you did as a player on the football field more than what you did away from the game and the social media and all this other stuff that surrounds the athlete today. You know, you, you couldn't take your helmet off. You weren't that celebrated. Uh, the only time you really had a chance to do some of those things were in the offseason uh, and on your downtime. Now these players are coached and taught and trained, pull your helmet off, get in front of the camera. Before the game, there's things blowing up in the, you know, like going to a WWE wrestling match when you're going to watch an NFL football game and you're supposed to go watch gladiators go to work. When in fact, it's like, Poetry in motion. You see a bunch of big bodies moving, a whole bunch of points scored. And uh, that's a lot different than when I played the game. When I played the game, they wanted defenses to shut down offenses. They wanted quarterbacks in the hospital. They wanted running backs to be sitting on the sideline with the guy in the white suit, ready to take him off in an ambulance and bring in the next guy. You know, <laughs> that was the attitude of, of football then. Now it's a little bit different. 
Indeed. And of course, you know, we'll talk about this coming up in the program, the two Super Bowls of which you were a part of. But I want to just kind of start off for for those, you know, I have a lot of listeners who are under the age of 30 and who don't, you know, unfortunately remember the glory years of 1980s, you know, the Parcells teams with yourself, with Lawrence Taylor, with Harry Carson, the great giant defenders. I mean, those were the days of a really, really good defense. You know, what made those defenses so special back in those days? I think Bill Parcells, you know, was, when given the opportunity to uh, prepare to cook the gumbo, uh, but picking the ingredients that he picked, if you look at our draft from 1983, my rookie season, all the way to 1986, uh, the majority of the players drafted was defensive players. And primarily because Bill Parcells was a defensive coordinator. And after 1983, my rookie year, when we were a garbage football team, we immediately rose the next season to becoming a contender and a team that actually made the playoffs. And it made the playoffs on the backbone of the season. His defense made plays and intimidated opponents and had a young defensive coordinator who took mitigated risks and got rewarded for it. And uh, so, you know, that team was, was, was filled with guys that, that, that he referred to often as a Parcells kind of guy, a tough guy, an integral guy, an intense guy, a guy who had, who could transfer the integrity of football as it's taught in the classroom before practice to the game to the game field on Sunday. And then on Monday when we viewed everything that we wanted to get accomplished, almost ninety percent of the time we got that accomplished. It wasn't so much done in nineteen eighty three, but from nineteen eighty four forward, with the likes of players like Carl Banks and William Roberts and Gary Reason and Pepper Johnson and Mark Collins and Eric Dorsey and Eric Howard and John Washington, Craig Laughter, and I could just sit here and name player after player after player. You know, all those guys were part of the evolution of the 85 Giants, which got beat by the Bears and learned how to lose, and then the 86 Giants, which got beat by the Cowboys early on in the season, but what learned how to win and how to win and be afraid to lose. Now, you mentioned uh, that 85 Bears uh, team and, and how the Giants lost to that. So let's start with, with that because I think, and, and tell me if you disagree, Leonard, that that was the catalyst to that for that 1986 championship run that you guys went on. Can you just, do you remember losing to the Bears and how everybody kind of felt after that game and, and how that carried over into the following season? Oh, sure. I mean, we went into Chicago into, you know, um, soldiers. Soldier Field in Chicago, thinking that we had a chance to win, you know, and and not knowing at what level the Bears were going to come out and play at. And boy, did we get, did we, were we in for a shock? I mean, those guys showed up. They had this crazy defense that not too many people had seen in the course of the season and really understood. You know, it was a loaded eight-man front. Uh, if you didn't have the big bodies and the big running backs to be able to block it and attack it. Uh, with a strong running game that averaged 100 yards a season, you could forget it because they were going to go after your quarterback. They had more guys rushing than you had blocking, and they had linebackers that were quick and elusive that could get by some of your running backs. And we were a team at the time. We were we we were heavy one way, 
but like in another way, we didn't have a lot of running backs. We traded for Otis Anderson, who was a veteran back, but the other running backs we had, Lee Roussan was young, George Adams was young, uh, Joe Morris was our vet running back, you know, um, uh, and I'm trying to think of Tony Garbrook was another veteran running back that we had, but everybody else was young and, 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 you know, really didn't know, you know, what the real true intensity of playoff football was like. So the Bears took it to a whole nother level. Uh, and offensively, we couldn't reach that level. Defensively, we spent too much time on the field. They held the ball for 37, 38, if not 42 minutes of the game. And, uh, our offense just sputtered and sputtered. We gave them two touchdowns. We spotted them two touchdowns on special team mistakes. And then we, 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 we threw one interception that Wilbur Marshall didn't have much work to do to get into the end zone. So they beat us 21 nothing. It was an embarrassment. Uh, probably the coldest day in football I ever experienced. But there was a major lesson learned from that game. We learned what it was like to lose, and we learned what it was like to be humiliated on national TV. And we took that back to New York and said, you know what, we're going to be better because of this. The next season, we tried to come out with a vengeance, and I think it showed up from week two on. didn't show up against the Cowboys, but it did show up against the Steelers. Now that that uh, 1986 season, everybody came in. I remember Harry Carson telling me for my book, uh, The Big 50, that everybody came in and it was, look, if you're not all bought in, then get the heck out. I, I remember him saying that it was just a different attitude and whatnot. And I remember um, when you and I spoke, um, I think you had one of your best years. Uh, you you might have had, I think, your second highest sack total that year, if I'm not mistaken, because you really came in with a chip on your shoulder. I mean, what did you do to kind of get yourself ready? I mean, did you let that that disappointment of that 85 game kind of fester throughout the offseason? Did you change how you train or anything like that? Oh, sure. I mean, I took it to another level training-wise. I mean, the season before, uh, I led the NFL in quarterback sacks. I was defensive lineman of the year. Uh, I was NFC defensive lineman of the year. I was NFL defensive lineman of the year. Um, and um, um, made my first Pro Bowl. Um, the 86 season, I came back. I did the same thing again. Uh, and uh, and Lawrence and I finished uh, the season with 30. 33 quarterback stacks between the two of us, and I make my second Pro Bowl, and uh, and we win the championship. Um, I remember holding out a training camp uh, for salary increase because I felt like I was playing at a very high level. I knew the Giants needed my pass rush in order to win. My teammates knew what the Giants needed my pass rush, and my play would be superb uh, week in and week out for us to win. And uh, all I wanted to do was get rewarded for that. Uh, I didn't get rewarded for that until right before the season started. And so I wanted to come in with a vengeance and, 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 a, and, a, and an opportunity to prove not only to myself, my teammates, but to the league that I deserve to be one of the highest paid defensive linemen in football and, uh, and that the Giants were the team that was going to do that. Indeed, and you came in and you just absolutely set the league on fire. That You know, a very underrated part but yet so important of that defense. And can you just talk about that 1986 defense? Because I think that Giants defense, no disrespect to any other you know defense that you might have been a part of or anybody might have been a part of, but that was probably one of the most fearsome units I can recall in all the times I've been watching Giant football. 
Pat, I got to tell you, the best 11 guys I've ever worked with uh, in my life were part of that football team. And, and I recall in the summer, you know, being in the locker room with these guys in training camp, and, and, and we talking about how humiliating it was to get beat by the Bears. And as we bring in these rookies, we bring in Mark Collins, Eric Dorothy, Pepper Johnson, um, uh, uh, Gary Reasons welcomes in, um, uh, uh, John Watson, Eric Howard, and, you know, those guys come on in and we take them in and we say, look, fellas, you know, we're going somewhere special this year. You want to be part of this journey, you better get on the wagon and get on it quick. Otherwise, the wagon just might leave you behind. And those kids came in and they worked their tail off and they proved to us that they wanted to be part of this thing. You know, Colin stepped up and became a starter uh, early on into the season and uh, replaced Elvis Patterson, who we had playing corner the previous season, and uh, fit right in with Terry Williams and, and um, 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 Kenny Hill and Terry Kennard back there and Herbie Welch. And uh, all I can recall is that front seven, from Banks to Taylor, Carson, Reason, and Johnson, that front seven was probably the best seven defensive players I've ever played football with and would go out to war with that group of guys any day of the week, any time of the week. When it comes to getting or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment, of hitting your fitness goals and feeling great about yourself. Echelon can get you there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes, always available when you need them. Unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone. And one membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com slash NFL. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash NFL to take advantage of this very special offer. Hey, Giant fans, this is Patricia Trena, host of the Locked on Giants podcast. If you're looking for a way to keep Giants football in the forefront during this offseason, pick up a copy of my new book, The Big 50 New York Giants, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants. This 350-plus page book takes a deep dive into the rich history of the Giants franchise, covering every era with stories, photos, and more that take you behind the headlines. The Big 50 New York Giants is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, TriumphBooks.com, and wherever books are sold. Pick up your copy today, and thank you to everyone for your support. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. 
available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to Locked On Giants. Patricia Trainer here with Leonard Marshall, the New York Giants defensive lineman and the two-time Super Bowl uh, champion, two-time Pro Bowler. Really delighted to have him here on the program. And, and Leonard, you know, let's talk about that 1986 Super Bowl. Probably one of the greatest defensive stands. Um, you know, we, we, we look at Super Bowls and we look at the offensive plays and we ooh and ah over them. But, you know, the defensive stand that you guys put together in that Super Bowl 21 against the Broncos. I mean, what do you remember about that? Well, I remember, I remember right before the first half, we sat John Elway in the end zone. And I knew at that point that the game was going to turn because I was harassing Elway. Carl Banks and I had both had monster games. If it wasn't for Phil Sims being uh, 22 or 25 or whatever kind of day he had throwing the football, I thought that the defensive player Carl Banks and I was superb. And I, I really felt that we could have ended up co-MVPs of the game. You know, I had two and a half sacks. Nine tackles in the game. I think Carl had 11 tackles, two forced fumbles, a block pass, and a, and a recovered fumble. And, uh, I just recall that that group of guys really went out there to play some football that day. And they didn't care what was going on anywhere else. And the, the pinnacle of it all, Patricia, was that when we came out of the locker room in the second half, the first half score, I believe, was 10 to 9. When we came out that locker room to start the second half, they were playing the song, New York, New York, the Frank Sinatra song. And the crowd seemed like it was all New York on both sides. So the players looked at each other and said, man, this feels like a home game. Let's go out here and have some fun and play our style of football. And that's kind of what it was. And we took over the game on both sides of the ball. We were running the ball and throwing it up and down the field. And, we were knocking the, I don't know what, out of their receivers and running backs and putting a lot of pressure on John Elway. And by the fourth quarter, they knew the game was ours and it was over. They kind of just kind of laid down and closed out the game. Yeah, what an amazing victory. I mean, I remember, you know, Parcells getting carried off the field and the confetti and then the post-game scene. And, and Phil, of course, was named MVP of that game. But but really, you know, and not to take away from the job Phil did because, it, it, you know, it's, it's a record that still hasn't been broken. But if you guys don't stop that Denver offense, I think, on that goal line stand, who knows how that game would have turned out. Oh yeah, I mean that that was that was probably the, the you know between the goal line stand and the and the back in the end zone and uh and just the harassing plays on Elway and not giving him a chance to heave the ball down the field. Uh you know, we're, we're big time, no doubt. Now, in 1990 you guys went back to the Super Bowl. You went against I think at the time that was the best offense, the most potent offense in the NFL, that being the Buffalo Bills led by Jim Kelly. God bless him. Thank God he beat his cancer battle. Um, you know, they had a pair of uh, future wide receivers who would make the Hall of Fame, Andre Reid and, and James Lofton. A much different challenge. What do you remember game planning about, you know, for that game, especially since I think you had seen those guys earlier in that season? Well, I remember game plan for not letting the deep ball beat you. I remember a game plan to not let Thurman Thomas uh, run this one football play, which they ran 
uh, successfully successfully against the Raiders the week before, and they they used it and scored about 28 points in doing it. They ran what's called a slip screen, and they ran it out of a uh, out of what's called a uh, uh, a trips a trips formation. That's three receivers, two receivers to one side, a back and a tight end, or a back and a wide receiver to the other, and a one back formation. And the one back being in the formation is shotgun with Thurman Thomas. And they would allow the defensive end to get upfield. The back would dip underneath. The lineman would scoot to the left or to the right. And they would slip the ball to Thurman. And then he would have a blocking crew in front of him. And it was guaranteed to get 15 to 17 yards by running that football play. We took that play away from them offensively. And we forced them to throw the ball downfield on Andre Reed and to the big receivers. But what we didn't do is we didn't just let them get away with catching the ball. Every time the ball was thrown, we made sure that two people hit that receiver. And we made sure that he got up and was wiping the grass stains off of his behind. We wanted him to remember what it was like to get hit versus get, get catching the football. And you had done that. You had actually taken that approach the week before against the 49ers and Hall of Famer Jerry Rice. I remember Mark Collins beat the heck out of that guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, that, that, that's a, now that was a football game that was like a fist fight. That was like a Mike Tyson fist fight, except there was the only guy throwing punches, and that was us. I mean, if you go look at the film of that game, there's, there's plays in the game where Roger Craig did, did not want to carry the football. I mean, even the football play where he fumbles and we take the ball back, which is right after the play where I separate Montana from the football and knock Joe Montana out the game. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I just I just recall that our defense is probably the most brutal and the most physical I'd ever seen it play at a football game in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers. The only other time I've seen our defense play that hard and play that physical was against the Redskins the first time we beat that team in three times in the same season. And that was in 1986. Now, I want to go back to the Super Bowl, uh, but to, before I do, I, I've got to ask you about that Montana hit because, my goodness, I remember watching that, and I felt it. Um, you know, I remember watching it. I was, I was sitting with my father, and we both were yeah. like, oh, God, he's going to be sore. And if I'm not mistaken, Montana, didn't he break, he broke his hand, and he something he might have had a sternum injury. I, I know it was a pretty vicious hit. I mean, when you have a, a play like that, Leonard, I mean – did you check on him afterwards, or, or, or was you know? Do you have any regrets that it came down to that? I mean, what what are your thoughts when you reflect on that? I mean, I did I did check on him uh, after the game, and uh, I did try to visit the locker room and the hospital, and, uh, and 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 see them. Uh, you know, I, it was a football play. I mean, it was a chance for me to to do something to help my team when it was in the framework, totally in the framework of what we're taught. Uh, as players and, and I was taught to play the game. And it was an effort football play on my part because I was blocked. You know, I slipped. I lost my footing. Someone dove at my feet. And all I can remember is I'm crawling to get up to get there. I see him pull up and take his left hand and extend his left hand to tell the receiver to keep running. And as he pumped the football to go back and cock back and throw it, I leave my feet to separate him from the ball. I was hoping it was one of these dramatic plays where Collins or Lawrence catches the ball in the midair and runs it in for a touchdown, and we win the game. We put it completely out. Uh, but we didn't. Uh, Mark literally whipped the football on that play, but it was a big-time play 
And I was known to be a big-time player in big games, and I always made big plays in big games. And I think that's the thing that I will always be remembered for as a giant legend, as a giant defensive player. Um, when, it, when the game was on the line, Leonard Marshall showed up. Absolutely. And he made the plays that helped to make his team, to help his team win. And I take a lot of pride in that. Yes, indeed. You, you, you did show up. I mean, again, one of the, I thought one of the most underrated guys on those teams because the linebackers always got a lot of the credit. And, you know, I, I just didn't feel like the defensive lineman back in that day got as much of the, I don't want to say the glory because, you know, look, playing defensive line is, is a very, I guess, thankless job. It's a very blue collar type job, but it just fits you guys so well. And you just had a certain chemistry about you with that game. And, you know, speaking of which, Leonard, you know, when you got back to, to the Super Bowl in 1990, Bill Belichick's plan was a little unorthodox. You know, we always hear coaches, defensive coordinators say, we've got to stop the run. We've got to stop the run. And it just seemed like Bill took the opposite approach in that particular game plan. I mean, when you found out that he was going to pretty much let Thurman Thomas run the ball, you know, save for that one play that, that you guys took away. I mean, what was your initial thought when, when you heard that? Well, my initial thought was I was going to be tired as hell if they had come the fourth quarter. <laughs> because we <laughs> wanted to play five linebackers in, in one scheme and five defensive backs in another scheme and play two defensive linemen, which he did the whole ball game. And the two defensive linemen that he played was myself and Eric Howard. And we got a dose of the work. And uh, myself, I was playing against a guy that outweighed me by 100 pounds. Um, the guy I played against was 360, 75 pounds. At best. And, uh, by the time that game ended, I was completely exhausted. I've never been so tired in my life, uh, as I was at, after that football game in the Super Bowl. But you know what? Kudos to Bill Belichick. He had the right plan. Uh, and the plan was to allow them to have as much yards as they could running the ball as long as they didn't score at will, have as much yards as they wanted to run the ball, let them chew off the clock, time on the clock by running the ball. Instead of throwing it down the field, getting it to the receivers and getting into the end zone more often than any. And kudos to our offense, which held the ball for over 40 minutes, that uh, we were able to do what we did that particular Sunday. Uh, uh, as we uh, um, digress to the fourth quarter, you know, everything seemed in our favor, all the way up until the final kick. So we were, we were elated at the outcome of the game. Obviously, you'd hate to be put in that position where it comes down to a field goal. But we felt that we gave ourselves the best chance to win. And we were a team of destiny. We weren't supposed to make the Super Bowl. You know, guys held out of training camp. We had guys injured. We had guys playing out of position. Um, there was talk that our coach was going to leave. You know, there was all kind of crazy stuff going on. It was the Gulf War. You know, so much going on. But we persevered through it. And we, we became the victors of Super Bowl 25. So kudos to that group. Yeah. And also you also had the, uh, people didn't know it at the time, but I think the negotiations were going on to sell half the team to the Tish family. I think, uh, they were going on as well. So that was going on top of everything, but, um, you know, just an amazing game. And, you know, look, a lot of people go back and they look at Super Bowl 25 and they say, Oh, the Giants wouldn't have won it had Norwide. I always say Norwide. I shouldn't say that, but Scott right. had he not missed that kick. But you know, there was also a sequence or two in the, in that game where 
Um, there were drop passes. I believe there were, you know, pass breakups. I mean, some other plays that were really instrumental that you just, during the season, you didn't see the Bills players missing those plays, but they were missing them left and right because of, you know, what you guys were doing to them. You know, you were rushing Jim Kelly, who couldn't get into a rhythm. I mean, you know, credit's got to go there, too. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So there's a lot of things that went on in the game, and, and, and people don't remember. I mean, I had a big sack in, in the uh, – I had a big sack, I believe, in the uh, either the third or the fourth quarter that knocked them out of field goal range. And when it knocked them out of field goal range, it forced them to punt. And if you remember, they, they shanked the punt. The punt should have went 40-plus yards and ended up going like 18 yards. We ended up taking the ball back and driving down the field and scoring to put the game out of pretty much out of reach uh, to the point where it came, it came down to either them getting the field goal uh, with very limited clock of them not getting a field goal and losing the game. So I was very happy with the way our team responded in the fourth quarter, uh, but more importantly, the way our defense responded in the fourth quarter, in that we bent, but we didn't break. You know, we didn't allow the ball to break. And, uh, you know, that was because, you know, we were conditioned to be in a position like that, and we knew how to respond to the challenge. So... Um, kudos to Bill Parcells for preparing us the way he did and Bill Belichick and the rest of the coaching staff. Are we ready for some football? College football heads into bowl season and the NFL has some big matchups coming up as the 2020 regular season comes to a close and the playoff picture becomes clearer. And there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. You're listening to Locked On Giants with Patricia Trena and special guest Leonard Marshall, two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Pro Bowler. Um, I think you two-time uh, second-team All-Pro, if I'm not mistaken. Just a tremendous way to end Super Bowl week, our coverage of Super Bowl week. And Leonard, you know, y- you've left the game so many years ago. Get everybody caught up on what you've been doing lately. I know you've been very active in the community. You've got a podcast you're working on. Let everybody know what you're up to. Sure. So these days I'm building affordable housing in Harlem. I hooked up with a company called Proceda Companies and uh, a good friend of mine by the name of Mario Proceda. Uh, we've got a project where we're building um, 110 condominiums in Harlem in conjunction with New York Housing Authority and Housing Preservation Division in New York. And uh, to help people that are in uh, a dire need of housing in New York uh, finally have a chance to, to, to raise their family uh, in New York City, uh, in Upper Manhattan, and, uh, and be able to do it in the comfort and the brothers of, of living away from the city. 
still having local uh, transportation to be able to get to and from work, to and from school, and to and from the facilities that they need, uh, such as hospitals, healthcare, uh, grocery stores, uh, libraries, and, uh, and places to do their business on a daily basis. The other thing that I'm doing and I'm having fun is I hooked up with a friend of mine uh, in New Jersey who's a serial entrepreneur like myself. Uh, I wish I had all the money he has, but uh, <laughs> I'm getting there. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Maoli, uh, he and I have been developing a coffee concept together uh, in Cedar Grove, New Jersey called Joe's Own. Uh, we're having a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we plan to open that venue up at some point this spring, uh, given that the pandemic is uh, pretty much subsiding. And we hope that it's subsided by either uh, late summer, early spring, so we can actually open the doors and invite patrons in to, uh, for a nice hot beverage and their favorite dessert uh, after a, a great meal uh, or after a, a night out at the movies. Uh, the other thing I'm working on is a way to help people um, uh, deal with the pandemic by uh, by being able to get rapid COVID testing um, uh, for those that are in um, critical critical areas of, of work, such as healthcare, um, uh, administering medicine, uh, administering social services, and constantly coming in contact with people, whether it be through public venue, transportation, um, uh, or emergency use, for that matter. Uh, so I'm working on something like that now. And the last thing I'm working on is a podcast with my neighbor who has been uh, uh, a 13-time Emmy Award-winning producer with NBC, um, uh, ABC, CBS, and uh, uh, working with the NFL and Major League Baseball, a gentleman by the name of Elliot Powell. Uh, and he and I are doing a podcast series uh, kind of uh, very similar to what we're talking about right now which is um, talking about how the New York Giants are really built from 1983 under Bill Parcells through the whole 1990 era. And uh, the combination of Super Bowl 21 and Super Bowl 25 and how those concepts today have made Bill Belichick one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach in professional football. So we're having a lot of fun doing it. And um, uh, I'm always looking forward to uh, – so the challenges that are offered on a daily basis with helping people uh, deal with COVID and the crisis of the pandemic. Um, just today, I went into Patterson to, uh, to help the mayor of Patterson and uh, educate and make aware to young black males the opportunity to get the vaccine uh, and while ignoring the, uh, the previous Tuskegee um, uh, Institute study that was done in the uh, in the 60s and 70s that uh, was utilized to to engage with black people so that they can uh, test products on them. Uh, I'm trying to really help young black males and young Hispanic males understand that that situation and this situation is by far different. This pandemic is something that we need to to restore uh, and, and and reverse. Uh, in order for us to move our economy along and for kids to get back to school so they can continue to live their life as fluently uh, as they were before the pandemic. So uh, a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of good things going on, and still trying to do these things in New Jersey, which is where uh, my career was going. 
and amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you had time to, you made time to speak with me. It's so great. Leonard, a couple of quick things before we, we call it a show. I, I want to get your take on the state of the Giants today. Um, I'm sure you've seen a few games. Um, I don't know how well you've kept in touch with the organization and whatnot, but, you know, defenses have, you know, have they changed all that much since you played the game? And what do you, what do you see from the current Giants defense? I think the current Giants defense this past season was pretty good. Um, they're returning to play the same 3-4 defense that we played. Uh, the beauty of it is um, Joe Judge is a cut from the cloth of, of the Bill Parcells era. Uh, he reminds me of Parcells, a young Parcells. Uh, he reminds me, uh, I see a little bit of Bill Belichick in him. Uh, I like his attention to detail. I think that's what made us a great team was our attention to detail uh, when it came to, to working against our opponent. Um, I think that some of the young talent they have has played tremendously well. Uh, I like the acquisition of Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams was coached by the same guy that coached me in college, a guy by the name of Pete Jenkins. He's one of the gurus of defensive line teaching at the collegiate level. Um, I, I can't tell you how many guys – that he coached and have been successful in the National Football League. Um, it's just amazing the job that he did. And I, I just got so lucky to come here and play for one of his best friends in Lamar Leachman. Uh, but I can tell you that, uh, the, the, the scheme that, that Joe Judge is trying to implement, very similar to what we did. Uh, he's trying to play pretty much the same kind of football, same style of football. The running back position is one that they need to develop. The quarterback position is one that they need to develop. Um, they got, they seem to have a, a decent tight end now that can, that can help them move the ball down the field the way we did it with Mark Bavaro, uh, with team routes, vertical routes and horizontal routes, uh, run by the guy that's playing that position. Um, I think the deep ball threat is something the Giants offense has missed. And I think a guy who can consistently get the ball down the field to that threat is something the Giants miss. Uh, they need another big play receiver like Odell Beckham to come into the come into his own. I think Sterling Shepard's done a great job. I take nothing away from Sterling Shepard. Uh, I I think the guy that's handling the football needs to do a little bit better job than he did last season and uh, and help those receivers get the ball, especially when they're open, and uh, and help them to make plays to put them in position to win. Uh, I think the defense can close our game um, like we did. I don't think they have that issue. I just think they don't score enough points offensively, and I think that there's a lot of pressure put on their defense, and their defense sometimes breaks. Not so much that they're not competitive, since they can't be out there all the time by themselves and not have the help they need in order to win. Indeed. Now, Leonard, I know you're not going to, you know, you're modest. I'm going to say this for you. I think it's an absolute travesty that you are not in the team's ring of honor. I am hoping, really hoping that that gets corrected in the next, you know, sooner than later. I, I think it's just, you know, look, not to take away from the guys that are in there. They, they all deserve to be in there, but I, I it just blows my mind that you are not amongst those in the ring of honor. Well, I, I kind of agree with you, Patricia. I think it's, it's it, you know, it's a travesty. Uh, my career is probably the best of any other defensive lineman in the Giants organization. 
certainly from 1983 on uh, 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 through my career. Uh, the only other guy I could think of that had a better a better career uh, statistically uh, because he played a, th- a four three defense is Michael Strahan. Um, but to have over eight hundred tackles and to have over 80, 80 sacks playing in a three four defense uh, and playing opposite two Hall of Famers and Harry Carson and Lawrence Taylor, um, it, it is a travesty that I'm not in the ring of honor. And I think you know it, it bugs the hell out of me uh, and it disappoints me because. I put in a lot of time, energy, and effort in order to be that player and uh, and to leave that type of legacy behind. And I take it as an insult, the fact of the fate, uh, that I've not been honored uh, with what with something that I earned. Forget whatever I did off the field uh, versus what I did on the field. What I did on the field is what made them great in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and that's what needs to count. Yeah, that, I I agree with you. And, you know, look, I'd like to think that ultimately that wrong will be corrected. You know, you know, Eli Manning's going to go into the ring of honor. He absolutely deserves it. But, you know, look, they can induct more than one person into that ring of honor. And, you know, I, I, keep, no hoping, I keep hoping every year that, you know, now they're, they're going to wait until they can bring fans into the stadium because, you know, what good is it doing it in front of an empty stadium? But, you know, I would love to see you get your just due. I, I, I just think it's so long overdue. And I'm not just saying that because I have you on the phone, Leonard. I've always thought that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I just get the impression it's harder to play and accomplish what you were able to accomplish in a 3-4 versus a 4-3. There is no doubt. There is no doubt. And I thank you so much for that because it shows that you're a astute football aficionado uh, to know that. So uh, I sincerely uh, and, and graciously accept that, uh, coming from you. And, uh, I hope that we're both right. I hope that the Giants, uh, uh, do wake up and, and, and give me the dedication, uh, and the honor that I think that I deserve. Uh, not that they're giving me something that I haven't deserved. Uh, and that the fans get a chance to celebrate, uh, my enshrinement, uh, at some point next fall. Well, hopefully we'll get fans in the stadium next fall. And like you said, hopefully everything will just kind of fall into place. And I, I hope that, you know, when that does happen, and I do believe that at some point, Leonard, you're, you're, you will get your just due. I mean, you can't possibly go the rest of your life and not get your just due. I just hope that I'm there to see it when it does happen. Like my teammate Harry Carson said, Leonard, it'll be soon. I just hope you're alive and not dead. And I yeah. thank him for that because, uh, Harry's a guy I respect an awful lot. We worked our tail off together to uh, to help make this organization what it is today, and uh, and to help give these young players a benchmark for something to uh, to reach for. So kudos to him and, and, and all his efforts. Uh, he's my captain. He will always be my captain, uh, and someone that. Uh, that I have the utmost respect. Absolutely, as as do I. I had a chance to, to to briefly talk with Harry the other night when he was honored with the Thurman Munson Award. Always a gracious gentleman, and just you know, you look at the at, at the leader he became and still is, and it's just you know, it's so it's such a treat for me to talk to you 
the legacy guys, because you guys, you know, it was a different era. You guys played the game differently and it meant something really meant something to you. You weren't in it about your brands and all this other stuff. No, yeah, I appreciate that. that. Mm -hmm. We could care less about that. We, we were concerned about being, when a guy walked on the field of players, he knew he was in for one hell of a day. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, Leonard, it, it was an absolute pleasure taking this walk down memory lane with you. I hope you enjoyed it yeah. as much as I did. Thank you so much. Thank Tell you. everybody where they can find you on social media in case they're not aware. You can find me at Leonard Marshall 70. You can find me on social media, uh, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, my website, uh, com. And, uh, you know, if you can't reach me, my wife will find you. <laughs> uh, Lisa Ann Marshall will find you and get you the information. Great stuff, Leonard. Really appreciate you. And Giant fans, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. This week's Super Bowl week coverage comes to an end. Giant, the uh, Bucks and the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday in Super Bowl 55. And Giant fans, make sure you text Big Blue to 47. 4747. If you want to be a part of our special promotion, we're going to do Fan Appreciation Week in a couple weeks. So if you want to apply to be on the Lock on Giants podcast, you can get your application by texting again, Big Blue, all one word, 474747. For Leonard Marshall, I'm Patricia Trainer. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy your weekend. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.